God, we do look forward to that glorious day when we see you face to face. We thank you for the forgiveness that's offered to us as so often we follow the path of folly. We thank you that by your grace, no good of our own, by your grace you've placed us on the path of wisdom. Teach it to us this morning, again, for the first time. Amen. On April the 23rd, 2013, Geraldine Largay, otherwise known as Jerry, set off on a path not far from here in Harpers Ferry, West Virginia, to hike the Appalachian Trail north to Maine. She was 66 years old at the time, a retired nurse from the greatest state in the Union, Tennessee. Jerry took the trail name Inchworm because she thought that described her kind of approach to the trail. She, uh, For a good chunk of that hike, she had a good friend of hers that was with her, hiking the Appalachian Trail with her. But that uh, friend of hers had to leave due to a family emergency. And Jerry decided, though, to go it alone to keep going by herself. Her husband, George, would pick a spot every couple days out in front of her and meet her off the trail, get her some fresh supplies, maybe a shower in a hotel. But George knew something was wrong when his wife didn't show up at the prearranged location on July the 23rd. Days went by with no word from Jerry. She'd gotten lost on the trail. In fact, the morning that she would go on to get lost, she stayed at a hostel there not far from the trail and met another camper, another hiker, who took her picture that morning. And there she was, there Jerry was with a big infectious smile, little knowing what was in front of her that day. Search efforts went on for weeks trying to find her until they stopped on August the 4th. No one ever found her camp until two years later when a logging company stumbled across it. They found that she had a phone and evidently tried to send some text messages. In fact, on the first day Jerry was lost, she typed on those text messages, quote, to her husband, in some trouble, got off the trail to go to the bathroom, now lost, call for help. The next day she texted, lost since yesterday, off the trail, three to four miles, call police. But the text never connected to the cell towers and never sent. She had a journal that she wrote in as well and The last entry on that journal, it said, quote, when you find my body, please call my husband, George, and my daughter, Carrie. It will be the greatest kindness for them to know that I am dead and where you found me, no matter how many years from now. And friends, as if this is not all tragic enough, it becomes even more troubling when Jerry was described by those that knew her. They said that she could become disoriented on hikes. And go in the wrong direction. He said that she could be flustered and combative when she made these kinds of mistakes. She was known to be scared of the dark, scared of being alone, and she lacked confidence and was prone towards anxiety. Her own husband said afterwards, quote, Jerry was probably in over her head. Well, this morning we continue our introduction to the book of Proverbs. By considering the often used illustration in the book of Proverbs of two paths, two ways. Proverbs teaches us that every single person in this room, every person in the world is on one of two paths. Not ten paths, not a hundred paths, two. Either you are on one or on the other. And those paths are either the way of wisdom that leads to life or the way of folly that leads to death. That's the book of Proverbs. 
When Jerry set out to hike the Appalachian Trail, she did not know that she was on a path that led to death. She ignored or wasn't serious about her own negative proclivities that needed her to arrive alive. And even worse, those that loved her didn't seem to take those problems seriously either and let her walk the path that led to her death. So what about you? What path are you on? Where are you going? Are you on the path that is leading towards life? Or are you lost on the path of folly heading towards death? Well, I have good news. I have a trail map. It's called the Scriptures. It's called the Bible. It shows us the way. The question is, has the Lord rescued us and placed us on the path of wisdom that leads to everlasting life? Or are we like Jerry, inclined towards disorientation, insisting to go it alone, heading down a path to death? My friend, by the end of this sermon, you should have a better idea as to where you are and where you're headed. So what I'm going to do this morning is compare and contrast these two paths. And what we're going to see is these two paths are in direct contradiction to one another. I'm going to pick up right where Joey left off last week. Joey, you recall last week, defined wisdom as uh, joyfully applying God's truth for life. That's what wisdom is. Joyfully applying God's truth for life. Uh, Joey helped us see that we're all fools. uh, We're all lost apart from Christ. And he began to help us see that the way that we then get wisdom and follow down this path is by fearing the Lord. The fear of the Lord. First point this morning of comparing and contrasting these two paths is as follows. The way of wisdom is thoughtful. The way of folly is sensual. The way of wisdom is thoughtful. The way of folly is sensual. Look again at those very first verbs in the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 2 to 6. To know wisdom and instruction. To understand words of insight. To receive instruction in wise dealing. In righteousness, justice, and equity. To give prudence to the simple. Knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning. And the one who understands obtain guidance. To understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and the root. Proverbs 3, 5 to 7. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will make your paths, make make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn from evil. Proverbs fourteen fifteen. The simple believes everything, but the prudent gives thought to his steps. Proverbs nineteen twenty. Listen to advice and accept instruction that you may gain wisdom in the future. Maybe all of this may be summarized in Proverbs four seven, when the father writing to the son says, "The beginning of wisdom is this: get wisdom. Whatever you get, get insight." So, friend, if you are on the path of wisdom, you are endeavoring to know and understand what is good, right, and true. You are suspicious in many ways of your own inclinations. You are surrounding yourself with wise people and wise writings, most particularly the Scripture. You are seeking understanding. You're endeavoring to be thoughtful about life and about ministry, about God. Your mind is engaged in the world. We're reminded of the early church when after receiving the grace and mercy of Christ, they gathered together every single day. For what reason? To devote themselves to the apostles' teaching. 
Right? They were hungry. They wanted to understand the world in light of the gospel. They wanted to be thoughtful. We can think about Nicodemus who sought Jesus out in the night because he wanted to be thoughtful about eternal life. We can think about the disciples that left their families for the better part of three years because they wanted to understand. 1,500 years later, we consider the person of William Tyndale who literally gave his life to understanding Greek and Hebrew and Aramaic so as to carefully write an English Bible so that you and I can read these books and understand God and His world. To be thoughtful. We can think about Ryan and Elizabeth that went to Central Asia so as to help the people there understand. To be thoughtful about God, about the world, about their own lives. Even in Jesus, we see in Luke 2.52 that he, quote, increased in wisdom. Are you on the path of wisdom this morning? Are you endeavoring to understand God and his world and your life in it? Are you trying to be thoughtful? Or are you on the path of folly, endeavoring to just follow your senses as your master? Listen to Proverbs 21, 17. Notice how it's playing, how the path of folly plays upon sensuality, plays upon your senses. 21, 17. Whoever loves pleasure will be a poor man. And whoever loves wine and oil will not be rich. Think about the sensuality of greed, the lust for money. 15, 27. Whoever is greedy for unjust gain troubles his own household. But he who hates bribes will live. Think about the sensuality of sexual immorality. Notice how it plays upon sensuality. Proverbs 7, 21 to 23. With much seductive speech, she, that's Lady Folly, persuades him. Seductive speech persuades him. With her smooth talk, she compels him. All at once he follows her as an ox goes to the slaughter or as a stag is caught fast until an arrow pierces its liver. As a bird rushes into a snare, he does not know that it will cost him his life. Some of you know that struggle. Think about the sensuality of speech. If ever there is a proverb for our day, this is it. Proverbs 18.2. A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. Not interested in actually understanding the thing. I just want to tell you what I think is true. I just want to win. Think about the sensuality of drunkenness. Proverbs 20 verse 1. Wine is a mocker. Strong drink, a brawler, and whoever is led astray by it is not wise. So the desire to get drunk beats you up and makes you dumb. Think about the sensuality of laziness. Proverbs twenty-one twenty-five: The desire of the sluggard kills him, for his hands refuse to labor. The desire for ease destroys him. Sensuality of anger. Giving in to whatever you think is right or wrong and being sinfully angry. Proverbs 29, 11, A fool gives full vent to his spirit, but a wise man quietly holds it back. So the way, the way of folly lets his flesh, lets desire lead the way. Lady Folly tells you to just follow your own passions. Do what you desire. Be whoever your base passions tell you to be. Don't discipline yourself. Don't be thoughtful. Be sensual. Just let the desires of the flesh rule you. Friends, that's the pathway of folly. We can even think back to the very beginning. In Genesis chapter 3, notice how Satan, the deceiver, plays upon sensuality to get Adam and Eve to eat of the fruit. Proverbs 3.6. Sorry, Genesis 3.6. 
So when the, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. And the way of wisdom is thoughtful. The way of folly is sensual. How often are we told that something is good because, quote, I was born this way. How many times have we been led to believe that since we feel it, it must be right? One well-known singer in our day said, quote, don't ever let a soul in the world tell you that you can't be exactly who you are. Well, what if I'm a pedophile? What if I want to murder? What if I am an abuser, a glutton? What if I desire to leave my wife and kids to chase another woman? Should I be that? Feelings, friends, are helpful servants, but terrible masters. Our emotions are good gauges, but they're terrible gods. It was Cain's jealousy that led him to murder Abel. It was David's lust that led him to rape and murder. It was Solomon's desire for women that led him to deliver Baalism to the front door of the temple. It was Judas's greed that led him to sell Jesus for 30 silver pieces. It was Peter's passion that led him to take the sword and cut off the ear of the soldier. It was the Pharisees' lust for power that led them to deliver the Messiah over to Pilate. Friends, you are walking in the way of foolishness if sensuality is your master. If desire leads you, you then hate discipline and walk the path of fools. Discipline yourself for godliness, beloved. Don't let desire be king. Christ is king. It was the glory of Christ that had him to fast for 40 days and nights and yet resist the sensual temptations of the devil. It was the beauty of Christ to be angry and never sin. It was the excellency of Christ to do the will of the Father, not the will of what was popular and acceptable and easy. It was the majesty of Christ to serve and not just be served. It was the love of Christ to do the will of His Father and drink the cup of wrath for sinners who uh, trust upon Him instead of letting the cup pass from Him, which is what He wanted it. Christ, the wisdom of God and the power of God. He walked the path of wisdom, not the path of folly. And because he did, he was and is exalted. He sought to be thoughtful about his life and ministry and not lean into sensuality. He, he had a better master, a better father, a better love because he was a better way to life, truth, and peace because he is the truth, the life, and peace. Therefore, beloved, if you are in Christ, if you are in Christ, follow the path of wisdom and seek understanding. Be thoughtful about your life. Be thoughtful about God. Be thoughtful about the church. Be thoughtful about whatever it is, your job, whatever it is. Be thoughtful. Our world has billboards the size of movie screens everywhere with neon letters that entice you to follow the path of folly, the path of sensuality. The devil every day shows you how good the fruit is and entices you to eat of it and die. Don't do it. Be thoughtful about whatever wind of doctrine is blowing our way. God commands us as Christians to love Him with our minds. 
too many people that take the name of Christ are fools because they've subletted their faith out to tribes or their own desires. They weren't thoughtful. The way of wisdom seeks to be thoughtful about life and ministry. The way of folly seeks to be sensual about life and ministry. Point two. The way of wisdom is truthful. The way of folly is deceitful. The way of wisdom is truthful. The way of folly is deceitful. So guys, we seek understanding not for the sake of just always understanding. We want to get somewhere. We want to arrive at something. That is the truth. Christians are people not led by unencumbered desire, but we're led by a passion for understanding that we might be led to the way of truth, whether we like it or not, whether it matches our desires or not. We want to know the truth. Whereas the path of foolishness due to his or her own thoughtlessness and sensuality is deceived into thinking that their way is the way to life when it's actually the way to death. Now we see this way of wisdom's pursuit of truthfulness all over the book of Proverbs. Get ready, here comes a litany of Proverbs 1-2 to know wisdom and instruction. That's why this book is here. We want to know something, not just sort of understand, we want to arrive at the truth. Proverbs fifteen fourteen: the heart of him who has understanding seeks knowledge. We want knowledge. Eighteen fifteen: an intelligent heart acquires knowledge. It says in Proverbs was written, Proverbs 22, 21, to make you know what is right and true. 23, 23, buy truth and do not sell it. Buy wisdom, instruction and understanding. 8.10, take my instruction instead of silver and knowledge rather than choice gold for wisdom is better than jewels and all that you may desire cannot compare. Friend, wisdom is thoughtful so as to arrive at the truth. Contrast that to the fool. 1.22, fools hate knowledge. 1.25, the fool has, quote, ignored all my counsel and would have none of my reproof. 129, they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. 28, 26, whoever trusts in his own mind is a fool. The Christian who is on the way of wisdom seeks to understand in order to arrive at the truth. The fool hates knowledge, is lazy in understanding, and only wants to express his or her opinion. They go their own sensuality and never arrive at the truth. They aren't interested in wedding themselves. They are not interested. The fool is not interested in wedding themselves to how things are. They're only really interested in how they want them to be. Which leads down that further down the path of folly. The way of wisdom is truthful. The way of folly is deceitful. And we need to make this observation, friends. It's not as though the fool consciously is opposed to the truth. I trust that the person on the path of folly, the person that is leaning into their sensuality and are being deceived, I trust that whatever it is, they actually are sincere in what they say they believe. I trust that they are sincere in what they say they believe. But it's important to remember, beloved, that you can be sincerely wrong. I can sincerely believe that the moon is made of cheese, but that doesn't change the fact that it isn't. And so why does then the fools stay on their path of foolishness? Again, because they are deceived. Their sensuality has deceived them into believing a lie 
as truth. Once again, we see this so clearly in the garden when Satan told Adam and Eve that you will not surely die. But they ate of this good, luscious fruit. And what happened? They did die. And that's why the devil is called a deceiver. Jesus says that lying is his nature. And by the way, the devil is really good at his work. He's very good at it. Posing even as light. Posing even as love, we might say. He leads people down the path of foolishness by appealing to their sensuality and therein deceiving them from the truth. Proverbs 1, 16 to 18, referencing the company of fools. Notice the aspect of of deception here. Their feet run to evil and they make haste to shed blood. For in vain is a net spread on the sight of any bird. But these men lie in wait for their own blood. They set an ambush for their own lives. Now, who does that? Why would you knowingly set an ambush for yourself? That makes no sense unless you're deceived. Proverbs 6, 24 to 25, the forbidden woman, quote, do not desire her beauty in your heart and do not let her capture you with her eyelashes. 721, with much seductive speech, she persuades him with her smooth talk. She compels him. 913, the woman folly is loud. She is seductive and knows nothing. That's a really dangerous combination, by the way. Very, very seductive, very, very loud, and knows nothing. 9, 16 to 18, Lady Folly says, Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. And by simple, it just means not being thoughtful. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. And to him who lacks sense, she says, Stolen water is sweet, and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. Proverbs twelve fifteen. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes. That's a phrase, by the way, repeated often in Proverbs. The way of wisdom is truthful. The way of folly is deceitful. And it plays on sensuality so as to deceive them from the truth. And that's true, friends. We think about this reality in our world. The amount of contradictions that are comfortably believed right here in War 3 of Washington, D.C. It's scandalous to consider the amount of contradictions that people walk around comfortably believing. And that's true in the whole world, right? And so we ask the question, like, how does the terrorist get there? How does the follower of the false religion get there? How does the cheat, the sluggard, get to where they go and still sleep at night? How does that happen? Or closer to home? How does the person that says they're in Christ joins a healthy church, and sort of keeps themselves away from the life of the church so as to kind of prioritize their own schedule and their own desires. How does that happen? How do people live comfortably, confidently, in blatant contradictions? Including, by the way, PhDs and those otherwise reasonable kinds of people. How does that happen? Because instead of following the path of wisdom and pursuing understanding that lands on truthfulness, they follow the path of folly and are guided by sensuality that is rooted in deception. They're self-deceived. Oftentimes guided by the deceiver himself. Thinking that it's fine, it's good. 
Humanity and rivers tend to follow, friends, the path of least resistance. We tend to do the thing that's the easiest thing to do. It's easier to reject a particular doctrine if you don't like it than it is to study it and come up under it. It's harder to do. Many of us would rather maintain our individual course of life than have it be disrupted by the truth. It's easier to live in deception because it agrees with our base passion. One theologian has said it well. He said, people, quote, who remain in the center of their lives and loyalties are autonomous architects of their own futures, thereby avoiding coming face to face with God and his truth. Friends, it's so easy and so many do it. We farm out our minds to news outlets, to Hollywood, to New York, to politicians, to heretical pastors, to our peers maybe that are not helpful, to influencers, and we've let them redefine virtue. And we go along with it. As long as it doesn't interrupt our own personal plans for our lives, we just go along with it. Now, the second it does, then we get upset. But wisdom calls this foolishness. People are deceived by sensuality. It's that chocolate-baited hook. Oh, it looks so good. And you bite down and it just carries you along. Wisdom, friends, is as Christ is. It wants the truth about God. It wants the truth about the world. It wants the truth about ourselves. It seeks to bite down on doctrinal truths and feast upon them. It doesn't blindly dismiss the differences between, say, infant baptism and believer's baptism. It wants to understand it and come to a position. It seeks to understand the differences between the gospel that the Roman Catholic teaches and the Protestant church teaches. It wants to know those differences and stand in the gospel. Not go on just saying they're the same. Wisdom endeavors to know the truth about gender and sexuality, not just reflect tribal or personal preferences. Wisdom wants to know about what marriage is and what it's for. It endeavors to see the truth and injustices regarding racism, and it intends to do something about it. Wisdom values churches that have statement of beliefs and uses those statement of beliefs. Wisdom doesn't see doctrine as distraction or needlessly divisive. It sees sound doctrine as life. Because Christ is life. He's the truth. Therefore, these kinds of wise persons following the path of wisdom, they read, they talk, they pray, they listen, they invite correction. They seek to understand so as to chop down on something and live for it, not eat the air of relativity. We don't go on believing nothing. We make a stand somewhere, not on everything. We go trying to build our lives on the truth. One of my favorite quotes is from Winston Churchill where he said, you have enemies, good. That means you stand for something. Too many today, some confessing Christians included, want to do away with what's true. They want to do away with doctrine because they're fearful of having enemies. But wisdom has enemies. Wisdom was crucified on a cross. Paul says the cross is foolishness to the world, but to us it is the power of God. Wisdom believes that there is something that is the gospel and something that isn't. And it is not only willing to live for that gospel, it's willing to die for that gospel. 
Wisdom doesn't call evil good and good evil. It calls it what it is, no matter what the popular sentiment might be. Love rejoices in the truth. Jesus, of course, was the truth. He was the way, the truth, and the life. No man come to the Father but through Him. Through that one way. Through that one truth and the body of doctrines that are built up in that. He preached the truth. He died for the truth. He lives for the truth. And because He did, we who are in Him are free to know Him in that truth. Right? First John five thirteen makes clearly, you can know the truth. You're free to understand who he is and who he isn't. You're free to teach him. You're free to love him. You're free to commend him to others and reject those that contradict those realities. Because as wise people, we are entranced by a vision of Christ who has set us free to walk on this path of wisdom, to reject that path of folly. Because as we know, after all, the destination of wisdom is life. And that's the third compare and contrast of these two paths. First, we've seen the way of wisdom is thoughtful. The way of folly is sensual. Secondly, the way of wisdom is truthful. The way of folly is deceitful. Thirdly, the way of wisdom leads to life. The way of folly leads to death. This is fairly clear throughout the book of Proverbs. Proverbs 3, 13 to 18. Blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding. For the gain from her is better than gain from silver and her profit better than gold. She is more precious than jewels and nothing you desire can compare with her. Long life is in her right hand and in her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are ways of pleasantness and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who lay hold of her. Those who hold fast are called blessed. Proverbs 4.22 Words of wisdom are, quote, life to those who find them, and I love this, and healing to all their flesh. Something about the truth of God, the wisdom of God that heals us. Proverbs ten seventeen, wisdom, or sorry, whoever heeds instruction is on the path of life. Proverbs twelve twenty eight, in the path of righteousness is life. Proverbs 15, 24, the path of life leads upward for the prudent. Now compare that to the path of folly that leads to death. It is said of the forbidden woman that walks the path of folly with her, Proverbs 2, 18, her house sinks down to death and her paths to the departed. Proverbs 5, 5, her feet go down to death, her steps follow the path to Sheol. Proverbs 14, 12. There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. Maybe summing up these two paths, we might look at Proverbs 8, 35 and 36. This is, if you just want one passage to think about more this afternoon, right here. Proverbs 8, 35 and 36. First, path of wisdom. Whoever finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. Path of folly, verse 36. Whoever fails to find me injures himself, all who hate me love death. And remember, nobody loves death. Well, yes, those that are deceived do. And when Proverbs, friends, talks about life and death, it's important that you understand what that means. It's not just a pulse. That's not what Scripture is talking about. When it talks about life and death, it means all that is life. 
and all that is death. In other words, virtue, wisdom is talking about human flourishing and all of its implications. And death is talking about human failing and all of its implications. One Christian philosopher has said it well, quote, our primary business in life is not business or construction work or sales or teaching or even motherhood. But instead, our primary business is becoming a complete human being. God is life. That's why he's called I am. And he created us in his image to reflect him in all of the flourishing of humanity. This is what the gospel endeavors to make us do. And so if it is only when we relegate God to some minor player in our lives or dismiss him altogether that we walk down the pathway of death and cultivate death in all of its implications. But if we would repent and believe upon Christ as Lord, if we would go back to Jesus and see him as the way and the truth and the life, not just Go back to the idea back when we walked an aisle when we were 10. No, if we go back to him every day and see him for the way that he is, for the truth that he is, for the life that he is, we would come to enjoy life in him. Every single day going back to Jesus. Every day. Go back to Jesus. The one of whom Colossians describes as the one of whom is hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. We would flourish We would flourish if we went back to him and find him as that. And guys, we would not only flourish as individuals. This church would flourish. We would be a community of light and life to this city, the world. But to reject him, to walk down that path of folly, to mitigate him, to relegate him to our personal preferences or our availability is to walk the way of folly and find ourselves like Jerry, lost and on the precipice of death. So what do we do? How do we get down that path of wisdom? How do we stay on it? How do we steer clear of the path of folly? How do we flourish as human beings? How do we do this? Well, friends, that's what we'll consider this summer. Next week, we'll think about uh, decision-making. Following Sunday, we'll think about sexuality, then money, then correction, and anger, and friendship, and justice, and word. That's what we'll be thinking about this summer. As to how is it we walk down the path of wisdom in those things? And how is it we walk down to not walk down the path of folly? How do we live in the life of Christ and enjoy him forever and know that life that he offers us? But before we leave this morning, let me give you just one way to help us down that road a bit more, the way of wisdom. One way. Quite frankly, I feel so confident in this one step that if you cultivate this one thing, It'll sort of match all the rest of it that you need to know. And that is what we talked about last week. So much that's at the heart of the book of Proverbs, the fear of the Lord. Cultivate that. You will walk down the path of wisdom, the fear of the Lord. It's at the heart of this book, Proverbs 1.7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. 9.10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And so, friends, therefore, as the church, wherever the church is weak in the world, walking in paths they shouldn't, the reason why is because they're not fearing the Lord. There is where there is no reverential joy in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, where either he's in the church seem to be very harsh 
or a sin to be light and fluffy. In these ways, you reject the fear of the Lord and walk the path of folly. And again, I want you to know, I'm talking about the church here. The church must cultivate a fear of the Lord. Best quote I read outside of the Bible this week is this quote. David Wells writes, The fundamental problem in the evangelical world today is not inadequate technique. We don't need to kind of figure things out how to do stuff better. It's not insufficient organization. You know, if we just organize our better. Or in antiquated music, right? Let's just make our music better. No. The fundamental problem in the evangelical world today, he says, is that God rests too inconsequentially upon the church. His truth too distant. His grace too ordinary. His judgment is too benign. His gospel too easy. And his Christ too common. Unquote. He then goes on to say that we've turned to a God that we can use rather than a God we must obey. We have turned to a God that exists to fulfill our needs rather than to a God that we must surrender our lives to. Unquote. So friends, if you and I want to walk the way of wisdom, know the life of Christ, we must turn daily, momentarily, to have a robust fear of the Lord. That is to say, to rejoice in Him and to tremble before Him. That's what it means to fear the Lord. To rejoice in Him, this beautiful, wonderful God that is kind and good and gracious, yet is also majestic and holy, powerful. And the fear of the Lord, friends, therefore, you need to know this, this is so important. The fear of the Lord does not mean to be afraid of God like Adam and Eve were when they ran away from him. It's the exact opposite. The fear of the Lord is drawn into him. Come into him. The fear of the Lord is agreeing with Moses when he pleaded with the Lord to see his glory. And he risked his life to go up on the mountain to look from the crevice of the mountain and peer just to see the back of his glory. The fear of the Lord is when Moses saw the burning bush and didn't run away, but was drawn in and took off his sandals. The fear of the Lord is Peter when he saw the manifest glory of Christ on the top of the Mount of Transfiguration and said, let's build some tents and hang out for a while. That's the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is like standing on the edge of the Grand Canyon, standing under the northern lights in Alaska, standing on the beach during a sunset. It's feeling incredibly small. So small in comparison to the magnificent beauty before you. Feeling so small in comparison to this big glorious thing. And yet it feels good. That's the fear of the Lord. It's thinking of ourselves less and seeing in Christ more. We decrease, he increases as John said. That's the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is striving to be thoughtful about the truth about the God that is, not the God that we might imagine him to be or what we're told that he is. The fear of the Lord is seeing the greatness of the glory of God in the face of Christ and being in awe of his holiness. Being in awe of his knowledge, his power, his might, the tenderness of his love and mercy. Centering our lives on that, on him, on these glorious realities. And we, he like the sun, we're the planets that operate around in him and not the other way around. That's the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord, friends, is seeing the beautiful, powerful thunderstorm, the lightning crashing. And instead of being afraid from it, we walk out in the field and stand before it because we feel safe and just sit in awe of the thunderstorm and the lightning and the rain because we are safe in him and we can rest in his power and his might and his glory. 
what wisdom cultivates. The path of folly, on the other hand, is more fearful than he is of God. So if you're thinking about points of application here, how do we get down the path of folly? Well, the Christian, he wants to walk the way of wisdom. He cultivates a fear of God. The path of folly cultivates a fear of man. Unlike joyful reverence, the fool is actually afraid of man. He or she needs his acceptance, his approval, his validation. Needs it. They'd rather do what is right in man's eyes than do what is right in God's eyes. Or, this is a big one, tempting one for us, or we'd rather fear our own inner man. That is, we fear denying ourselves and our own passions than we are drawn into God and His good and gracious command. In other words, I think some of us are fearful of giving our all to Christ because we are afraid that that life might wind up boring, harder than we want it to be, disenfranchised from the world. And so we kind of keep our distance from the Lord because we're not convinced that He's good. And we'd rather just listen to ourselves and kind of find a middle ground. That's foolishness. That, friend, is a scheme of the devil. If you are believing that if you give your all to Christ, that you will wind up in this dry and weary and boring land, you are listening to the evil one. But if you are drawn into the yes, hard, but good and gracious life of Christ, you are beginning to fear the Lord and walking in the path of wisdom. And to the degree to which we as a church or you as an individual or we as a city or a nation pushes the fear of God out of the middle and the more of ourselves into the middle is the degree to which we shove life out and cultivate death. Wisdom fears the Lord, not man. And when it does, life comes. Jeremiah thirty-two twenty-nine says of the new covenant, says of the gospel. This is in advance of Jesus coming. This is a promise of God before Christ comes, dies for sin, raises for sin. This is what God says he's going to do in this age that we live in. Jeremiah 32, 29. I will give them one heart and one way. Why? That they may fear me forever. Why? Why would the Lord want to give us fear of him? Why? For their own good and the good of their children after them. Parents, you want to love your kids? Teach them the fear of the Lord. That's good. Nehemiah wrote in Nehemiah 1.11, O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear in your name. Jesus said that he came to give us life and life abundantly. He's not endeavoring to make your life boring. In fact, if you find Christianity boring, you don't get it. Give it to you in love. Jesus said that he came to give us life and life abundant. The gospel is man fully alive. Jesus' death for sins killed Nathan's condemnation. It destroyed every fear of being known and then being rejected. I don't have to worry about that. His resurrection promises a life with him and one another that is peaches and cream. Not bread toast and bad coffee. Yes, it's true that Jesus told us that they rejected him and so they'll reject us. 
We'll be persecuted. All those that desire to live a godly life will be persecuted. Yes, that is true. But since Christ has paid the debt of our sin and taken our righteousness before the Father in heaven, we don't need the world's approval. In Christ, we don't need to fear the world or those in the world. We have the approval of God. And so we can love our enemies freely. We can love them freely and serve them freely, no matter what they might think of us. In the resurrection of Christ, we have a life that cars and houses and vacations could never buy. We have life in, through, and to Him, where we are known and loved and provided for. Our hearts can rest from any vain pursuits because we have been given a passport to heaven. And there, in all of its eternal glory, we will rest. And therefore, because of all of this, we can trust that whatever God's ways are, they are the best way. We see that. God did not spare his only son, so how can we not with him graciously trust him for all things? You all have heard me say this one bazillion times. I love you, but I will not give you one of my sons. I don't love you that much, but that's what God did. And so we can trust him that if he says this is good and this is bad, this is right, this is wrong, trust him. Why? Because he gave me a son and I didn't deserve him. We endeavor to be thoughtful about him, bite down on the truth about him. The more that we learn to rejoice and tremble before him, the more we walk down the path of life and we flourish. And we don't wind up like Jerry, lost on some other path, headed towards destruction. All of this wisdom is ours in Christ Jesus. Therefore, if you want to stay on or get on the path of wisdom, friend, this morning, repent of your sins and trust in the sufficiency of Christ. Receive the grace of his forgiveness, the power of his spirit, the eyes that have been lightened up to see the truth and walk in it and will help you. And if that's you, come talk to us. If you want to walk the path of wisdom this morning, come talk to us. The way you do that is you die to self, you confess Christ, and you confess him to one another, and we walk with you in this new life. Learn to fear. Learn to fear the Lord that is in reverential joy. Get out of your own way and follow Jesus down the path of wisdom. Come and stand on the rim of the Grand Canyon. Feel small in the sight of the great and magnificent and glorious King and live forever. Get wisdom. Get Christ and know what true life is. Don't walk the path of poverty. Walk the path of wisdom. Walk the life of Christ. Let's pray together.